it all started with a conversation with a friend of mine, Andy Cook, who is the founder of a company called Tetra. It's a software company. It's like a wiki that's built on Slack. And I was just like pouring my soul out to him over beers about how much agony I felt working in marketing where I just wanted to create meaningful work. And I felt like everybody around me was just looking for shortcuts and looking for tips and tricks and secrets and hacks. And I'm like, no, 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 you're, you're doing it wrong. Like you're missing the best part. The best part is creating awesome things that other human beings like, like that's a better way to get the end result too. And he just looked at me and he goes, Oh, you want to work with people who are bothered by suck. And I just had this like, Oh my God, like that's it. That's the way to describe it. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Louder Than Words. My name is John Benini. I had growth at an email software company called Litmus and also Moonlight as a copywriter. Uh, today, most importantly, though, we're hanging out with my friend Jay Akunzo, who is currently VP of Platform at NextView Ventures. Jay began his career at some company called Google and then went on to lead content creation for brands like Breaktime Media and HubSpot. I'm sure you read a lot of his stuff from there. Today, though, Jay is hanging out with us to talk about some of his experiences, uh, creates a ton, of, a ton of content in a, in a variety of platforms, um, and has a lot of experience to draw on, but also about his new podcast, Unthinkable FM, which has been a, an, an early hit, amassing what? Like you had, was it 50,000 downloads or something like that in the first week? Yeah, yeah. We got really lucky, three episodes and uh, already passed 50, I think wow. now 60,000 downloads. It's been, it's been wild. So you're, you're a big deal, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> Far from it, my it's, friend. It's, it's Far from the... it. I'm talking to other people who are big deals. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Jay's going to talk to us about all those things. It's it's great to welcome him here, and and just a little bit of backstory. Jay and I actually grew up what like fifteen miles, if that, from each other. Um, oh yeah, there's a non-zero chance that you and I walked past each other at some point. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, both big Yankee fans, both Italian, um, and uh, yeah, so we have a lot in common, and and both also, and I don't run into a lot of these uh, uh, anymore, which which is kind of sad. Both big NBA fans, so I have to ask you this, Jay, before we get into mm-hmm. it. And there is a wrong answer here, but I'll let you, you know, figure that out. Um, the Warriors from this year or the 96 Bulls, who would win? Nine, 96 Bulls. Yeah, I feel like anybody really born in the 80s, right, would, would have that answer. Full stop. Uh, yeah, yeah. That All kinds of matchup problems. All kinds of – then <laughs> who's, who's guarding Scottie Pippen? Yeah, so, I mean, we could spend a whole podcast on that, but I'll let much smarter people do that. Uh, anyways, Jay, thanks a lot, man, for, for coming on. I'm surprised it took this long. Uh, my bad. But it's 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 great to have you on, man. Welcome, dude. Thank you. I'm so excited. With that lead in, this is going to be one of the best things I've ever done. I can already tell. Oh, okay. Well, now thanks for thanks for putting the pressure back on. I see what you did there. <laughs> this is this is a professional right here. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, though, you you're one of those guys that you create a ton of content on a variety of platforms. Like you now, you're on Snapchat. Um, funny story about that is actually the day um, the day that uh, my fiance and I uh, gave birth to our son. Like I was sitting in the room all day waiting. Um, it just like had a lot to do, right? Or, or, or no, actually nothing to do, which led me to like just surfing the web. And like you had a ton of like I think that's when you started hitting Snapchat hard. And so you've been doing Snapchat. You you've always been blogging at Sorry for Marketing at Nextview. Um, you know now you have the Unthinkable FM brand. 
So you create like a ton of content and not to mention the social media, the speaking gigs, all that stuff. So like what, talk about your process for like ideation uh, and then testing, like getting those ideas out into the wild, validating them. And then like your development process, because like it's interesting to me in two ways. One, the sheer volume that you put out. So like, how does that come about? But two, how do you know which area gets which content? Like obviously unthinkable FM, that's easy, but like what goes to your blog? What do you think? Like you have an idea, oh, this would be great to sort of bring to the VC in, in, in tech startup community and like what, where medium, like where does all this stuff? Yeah. So just, we could probably spend 30 minutes talking about that, but just talk about (laughs) your process for coming up with ideas and then all the way to hitting publish. Yeah, I mean, it it's all underscored by the fact that I feel so fortunate but so excited to do what I do because I just love to create stuff. Like that is just like the simple fact behind all of my work. And I feel like, you know, the best way I can describe it is actually if you think about game theory, there's a word that game developers use to dev- to describe an experience that uh, where the behavior becomes very dangerous. And, and uh, that word is telic, T-E-L-I-C. Uh, an activity that's telic is something you do for the end result alone. It's a chore. And the opposite is intrinsic. So I am just intrinsically motivated to create stuff. I like to write. I like to speak. I like to design stuff, even though I'm not a professional designer. Um, I tinker on the side. I like to cook. I just have always liked to put stuff out the door uh, and mess with stuff. And I feel like without that mentality, if you're setting out to find somebody else's process, which is why I'm starting with this, because you asked me about my process, um, it'll all fall apart. It doesn't matter how I write. It doesn't matter how I create. I'm flattered anybody would want to know that stuff. But like, it's actually not about that. It's just about how you approach the work. Is it something you're doing to get a click, a lead, a view, a subscriber, a sale, fame? Or are you doing it because you just love to do it? Because if, you if you're comfortable doing it in a vacuum for its own sake, and you just love it, if nobody in the world discovered it, chances are really good that when you put it out the door, it'll actually be better and people will respond to it in a better way. So I, th- I just want to caveat what I'm about to tell you about my process with that sure. fact, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. So you asked about like going from idea to content. And I think the best framework to articulate is the show Unthinkable. So the idea behind the show is everything I just teed up just now. I got into marketing because I like to write and create stuff, full stop. And there's a ton more people, more than ever, that feel that way, but they get into the business world and they feel like a cog in a machine. They feel like the creativity is squeezed out of them. They feel like it's all about best practices and precedent, which, by the way, is not can you be creative or can you think for yourself. It's can you follow a list, which is a really dangerous race to the bottom. Um, Do what the other person's doing. But for those people that feel this creative urge, I felt like there was a hole in the market where there's not a community yet. There's not uh, maybe a ton of people standing up and being like, this is what I care about. This is the truth uh, and what kind of rattles my bones. And so I thought, let's let's build it. And so that's unthinkable, the podcast. Um, and I can get into way more detail in the future. But to get to the point where I was confident launching an entire show around that and even building out one single episode, uh, I, I've been working on this like kind of almost lean startup, lean content version um, of like idea development. So it all starts with an observation in the real world. So I think step one is like get out of the marketing echo chamber, stop reading blog headlines, go talk to human beings. And it all started with a conversation with a friend of mine, Andy Cook, who is the founder of a company called Tetra. It's a software company. It's like a wiki that's built on Slack. And I was just like 
pouring my soul out to him over beers about how much agony I felt working in marketing where I just wanted to create meaningful work. And I felt like everybody around me was just looking for shortcuts and looking for tips and tricks and secrets and hacks. And I'm like, no, 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 you're, you're doing it wrong. Like you're missing the best part. The best part is creating awesome things that other human beings like. Like that's a better way to get the end result too. And he just looked at me and he goes, oh, you want to work with people who are bothered by suck. And I just had this like, oh my God, like that's it. That's the way to describe it. And I need to go and find these people, figure out what they care about, if they care about the same things as me, and then build the big thing to serve them. And so step one was that, an actual conversation, an actual observation. Step two is you want to go on the hunt. Um, Basically, you want to find a small number of people reacting in a big way. So you want to hunt for that kind of signal. And the way to find a small number of people reacting in a big way isn't necessarily to go and build the full thing. So the first like channel you're out to find is something that has audience that you can easily access. So it's like the two A's. So like the first channel, the testing channel, you need audience and access. So you need some place where people's attention is already on that channel, even if it's not on you yet. Ideally, it's your own followers, but that's not even that important. So a place like you know Twitter, Facebook, Medium, SlideShare. Those are places where there's already attention being paid and you have access to publish. You don't have to like pitch somebody, some editor to guest blog or do some sort of PR PR opportunity just yet. And what you want to do on those channels is you just want to start lobbing out ideas. And whatever you get responses on and signal on, you want to like kind of continue the hunt and be like, oh, interesting. Okay, so you responded positively, John, when I said I'm bothered by suck. You started to laugh. Like, Indulge me for a second. Why did you just start to laugh? Because it's, well, I mean, because like, I think it's something innately that we all feel, but it's, it's uh, probably because it was just like uncomfortably true. Right. And why, why is it uncomfortable though? That's a good question. So I think it's because we're not comfortable admitting that lots of us, like yourself, John, maybe just have this intrinsic desire to just write. And like there's so much, there's a body of knowledge, there's all these best practices and quote thought leaders that want to tell us how to do our jobs. Whereas you've probably just gotten really good at like following your intuition and and leading with that and like writing really well because you're just a natural writer and you work hard at that craft. And it's like, oh yeah, like a lot of people want to manufacture that. I'm just sort of like in on the secret where I just like the craft first and it makes me better at the end result. And it's uncomfortable to stand up and admit, to be like, to hell with that analytics report. Like I just have this internal guide. And so that's what I was looking for is like those moments of ha ha or oh, I'm uncomfortable or yes, hell yes. And then I would respond and ask questions and I would kind of like vet ideas. And then I'd bank, like basically backlog them into Trello. And once I had a nice long list of that, I was like, okay, there's my editorial calendar for creating actual content. So I would start to blog about it and the blog posts that hit would turn into larger assets like episodes. The episodes will eventually roll together and I'll pick them apart and make them better and put it into a book someday, I hope. So that's kind of the process is like start with small numbers of people reacting in a big way and you can do that for free absolutely everywhere on the internet. How do you determine that? Like why was... I mean, Unthinkable FM is a show, right? It's a, it's it's audio content, like at the way we think of it right now. Like it's a podcast, like and it's and it's a great one. But when you first had this, you know, when it was still just a Trello card, when you had all these thoughts in there that were initially blog posts, why why podcast? Like what made you, you know, like you said, given these these platforms that we have available where the attention is, that we have access to publish. What about 
being a podcast was the right was the right move at, uh, you know at that time to to bring out these ideas i i think that's a great question i think it was the combination of three things happening all at once the big thing that everybody probably latches onto is like podcasting is having a moment uh, you hear a lot of people talk about how it monetizes better than text, where like text can kind of be the lead gen to the podcast with all the views and the search rank and the sharing that goes on. It can drive people to the show, all these other things. So that's like the macro environment in the market for podcasts. That's certainly part of it. But I go back to that same idea of like a small number of people reacting in a big way. Number one, I think like the personality I was putting through a lot and, and the storytelling I was putting through all of these testing channels lent itself really well to a podcast being like a blown up version of that because podcasting is like intimacy that scales. So like tone of voice matters a lot. Um, you can't just sort of game the system to rank on search or get clickbait. You have to make something actually really good, um, which fits the mold of unthinkable really well. And then the third thing was at NextView, where I lead all content, among other things, we had done a podcast called Traction. And the show had about 12 episodes out the door and it like took off on us. And like Forbes wrote about it and Techstars and all these people were praising it after like not a lot of episodes. So I think I'd uncovered something about the format or the approach that I thought I could really blow out of the water with Unthinkable. Um, so it was kind of those three things. But again, the underpinning still was small number of people, small anecdotal evidence that people were super excited about something. And I want to lean into that with everything I had. So do you, do you find yourself spending less time, you know, blogging, you know, since you've, since you've sort of went all in on podcasting and, uh, you know, Snapchat and more of this intimate video audio format, do you find yourself sort of blogging less? Yeah, I, I actually had this thought last night. I really wanted to sit down uh, when I woke up this morning. Usually I like to write in the mornings, and now that writing has turned into scripting episodes, which, don't get me wrong, is like I'm using my core skill, which is writing, to help me with this podcast. And certainly the format I chose lends itself more to the written approach versus an interview. Um, so I'm still writing, but it's not quite the same. So I still do the Sorry for Marketing blog posts once in a while, the newsletter once in a while, but I've really scaled back and the way I'm trying to get back to writing more is now that I have, I think, six episodes in the can for Unthinkable and four live, I'm like trying to find a framework for the next batch where the writing process gets easier. Like, and again, that's based on the signal I've gotten from sharing things behind the scene on Snapchat, the newsletter for Unthinkable, and then the actual show feedback I'm getting, whether it's coming direct in email or on Twitter. Um, but I do, I really do miss kind of that core thing, which is writing, but I'm kind of lucky in a way that I picked a style show that requires that I do some of that. So this is, this is more of a side note, but what are your, what's going on with Snapchat right now? Right. Because like, it seemed like overnight, like every influencer, um, you know, hopped on there and now either broadcasts just, you know, to, uh, basically just the mundane things about their everyday or people like you who kind of have a structure and kind of explain their workflow and, and kind of give us like an inside look at your creative process and production process. Like what is going on with Snapchat right now? Do you think that it's going to be um, a move that you're, you're going to see brands successfully make? I think the, the very strong intense filter you need to put up before I answer is like whether or not you adopt it if you're listening to this is an it depends answer right it's like there's so many factors don't don't just jump on another channel to jump on another channel so that's like again the big caveat to approach this with the right mentality I hope 
Um, but I think Snapchat is having a moment because of two things. Number one, every social network is built on a younger generation. And right now that young generation is obsessed with Snapchat. And that's kind of like the pithy, easy, flippant answer. But I think the main reason that it's like so darn important is in a world where attention is the most precious resource and the rarest commodity to acquire and capture and own, Snapchat is built only for attention. And so what I mean by that is a couple things. So number one, a view, and I'm putting that in air quotes, on Twitter or on Facebook or on all these feed-based social networks is really, really passive. It's not that valuable a metric because it's such a feed-based economy on those social networks. You're flipping through these things. And I think I, I think I saw a stat on like a video view on Facebook counts after like three seconds. And I don't know about you, but I can't really say what I want to say if I'm a brand <laughs> or an individual in three seconds. And I'm, I'm way more long-winded than that. Snapchat, there's none of that. The only way you can use Snapchat, literally the only way to extract value is to click the name, which contains no context next to it, to watch the snap, to watch the video. Otherwise, you literally get no use. There's no passive behavior. So the sole purpose is consumption. And so these views are more active. And so it's built to be consumed. It's built for attention. And that's crazy awesome because there's almost no attention being paid to anything today, right? But if someone is on Snapchat and they're actually watching your, your snaps, they're actually watching your snaps. It's not like some vanity metric. Um, that's one reason. But I think the second reason is the psychology makes it really powerful. There's like this finite ephemeral resource, which are these snaps that go away. And it's like almost mini moments of must-see TV. So on a macro level, if you think about TV and live events, like everyone keeps talking about sports and award shows as like the saviors of TV because you can't miss it and you have to tune in. Snapchat is creating that same feeling, but in these micro moments. So it's like this addicting behavior that if you get into the psychology, you can realize is like actually pretty powerful. It'll be interesting to see if they can conserve basically everything you just said um, with the public sort of uh, demand for more uh, discoverability, um, you know, making that easier. Uh, because I, I almost like that it's kind of hard. Like, you know, you see people that, you know, use Twitter and change their uh, their thumbnails to their Snapchat photo um, as a way to kind of like hack discoverability. And I kind of like that because it kind of conserves what you just said. Like if, when people find you and they find your content, like it's they're, they're there, you know, to consume and they're because they're interested. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like how that plays out as Snapchat grows. Um, and you see these for sure, like you already see them, uh, best practices for Snapchat, which I'm sure pisses you, pisses you off, uh, because I know how much you like a best practices post. Um, but it'll be interesting to see like how that all plays out as brands pay more attention to it because definitely have a tendency to ruin things. So, um, like, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how the platform plays out. Um, <laughs> totally. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a creative weapon right now for people who know how to use it because it's multimedia. You know, you have the photo, video, audio, filters, drawing, icons. You can do one snap in and of itself. You can string together a bunch and have the interplay be the creative tilt. You can do recurring things week to week or each day. Like, there's so much creativity happening on Snapchat. And again, like I saw an opportunity to tinker, but also use that to my advantage with Unthinkable where I'm like, I want to show people what I'm going through to build this podcast because the people I'm talking to want to build stuff. And I was like, wow, what a great way to like live what I'm trying to say on the show. And also it doubles as like really good kind of advanced marketing before I was live. 
So where can people follow you since we're talking about Snapchat so much? Yeah, I actually recently changed my Twitter handle so that now I'm Jay Conzo absolutely everywhere. So it's the Easy same enough. handle that I have on Twitter. Yep. So back to Unthinkable. So you kind of you kind of talked on this briefly, like in the intro, but um, you know you talk a lot and you position this podcast about being for craft driven creators. So what what is that? What is a craft driven creator? If you're the type of person that would tinker on something just for its own sake, maybe you launch it, maybe you don't, but that's like what you get excited about is the opportunity to create stuff. Not to create stuff to get the lead, not to create stuff to get famous, but if you just like to create and that is what landed you in business or in marketing more specifically, this is the show for you. And so, for example, we just did an episode actually this week, um, which the theme was what does it actually mean to be craft driven? Um, And I don't want to give away any spoilers, but we talk a lot about the process itself. Um, You know, if you're craft driven, it's like I'm going to study and tinker on and agonize over and get excited by and frustrated by and all these just existential things around the action that is creating something. And the world around me is going to agonize over how to get to the end faster and how to publish more and how to get that result more. And I'm going to be confident in the fact that if I create really, really well, that other stuff will come too. So if that's like, if you're nodding along with this, like I just, this world needed, I think something like that. And I haven't built it yet, but I'm trying to build it right now. And that's tough too, because like, like you said, in a world that measures, like we're able to measure virtually everything in, you know, in marketing and, 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 and business, um, except the two big, or or really the biggest sort of, uh, you know, marketing play, which is word of mouth, you know, and word of mouth is born from, you know, great quality experiences, right? Like you talk about things or you forward them to your friends or you tweet them. And and a lot of that's measurable, but a lot of it isn't. And, um, you know, in, in sort of like the obsession of everything being tied back to an ROI, um, is this kind of thing like, you know, like you even have a quote on your on the Unthinkable FM website that says, you know, basically, hi, I work from I work in marketing, but I only came here to create cool stuff. So, does like the curmudgeon or the guy who works for you know uh, is is a mid level manager managing people like this? And that says, well, then you know, go start your own company. We have larger aspirations here. We have goals to hit. We have you know revenue targets. Like, are those two things at odds with each other? Can you do both? Like, can you work within you know whether it's a startup or an enterprise company and sort of have this like I really just want to create cool stuff um, because it sounds like like having that sort of dedication to creating quality could also right align with the business's goals. So can you talk about sort of that um, possible disconnect that maybe some people might perceive like on the managerial level and really does, does one exist? Can you do both? So the, I think the implied question here is this like weird debate we have sometimes in marketing, which is quality versus quantity. Um, definitionally, those are not opposite ideas. I get why it's hard to do both quality and quantity because you kind of like track back the time you spend on something when you have to do more of that something. But if you look at why we're doing content marketing in the first place, let's start there. Like if Grantland, RIP, the greatest site ever invented, um, <laughs> it, you know, if, if Grantland, out. right, if Grantland were going out of business or being, you know, uh, sunset by ESPN again today and it cost $10. They were selling it for $10. You bet your ass that everybody, every brand that could possibly remotely align with that asset would be beating down ESPN's door to try to buy it or should. 
And it's not because they understand some growth hack. It's not because they understand some like deep analytics, big data, jargon, jargon, jargon thing. It's because they're just unbelievable at creating content that others are obsessed with. And like, if we only started there and led with that kind of creativity and led with that intuition and then course corrected with data and optimized with data and got better through data and measurement, I think it all gets better. So, so back to your original point, which was like, we live in a world where you can measure absolutely everything. That's great. And we do that. And that has made us good marketers, really good marketers. But if you can measure it, you can document it. And when a marketer documents something, typically the real world calls that blogging. And so you have this like massive public compendium of knowledge telling us how to do marketing. And that's really dangerous in a way because now, again, it's not can you stand out and do something different and gain attention. It's can you follow the listicle. So it's like a best practice is just doing what the other guy's doing. And when the name of the game, again, is attention and creating something meaningful that like resonates intellectually and emotionally, that's really dangerous. And so the, the commodity, or the hot commodity, I should say, becomes the people that are able to say, that's what the precedent is. That's what the data said worked in the past. I'm going to follow my intuition because I think this thing over here could work better. And so you have examples all over the marketing world of Marriott launching films and creating a content studio, of Converse, which is not a top-tier uh, athletics brand or fashion brand at at the time when they were doing this, Converse launching music studios because the data said, hey, when a music artist that's famous wears our Converse shoes, we sell more shoes. Well, rather than get a sponsor that was a famous artist, they built out local uh, studios and they brought local artists and gave them swag and gave them credibility and gave them and produced video and all that stuff. And you have all these marketers doing these amazing things and we bow at the, their altars at these big events and on shows like this. And then we go back to our work and we look at like, what does the headline say? Let's just follow that. That's broken. That's backwards. Yeah, it is. and 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 so what? And this is really ambitious, right? You've hit on something that I think is you know, and you've said this a lot is unspoken to a great degree. Um, so, like, how does somebody? How does a listener of Unthinkable FM who you know is one of these you know wh- whether they're a great writer, whether they're a graphic uh, a designer, um, a content creator in some form, like how do they navigate this sort of um, this sort of relationship with maybe the company they work for that values, you know, just hitting numbers and, you know, uh, uh, cons- you know, volume and consistency, volume and consistency, just, you know, get things done quicker. Um, you know, and quantity, like you're saying, quality and quantity aren't, you know, they, they, they aren't mutually exclusive, but how does, how does somebody that works for a company navigate sort of, you know, maybe their relationship with, uh, a manager or uh, a CEO or whoever it may be that maybe thinks otherwise. Like, that's great. You want, you came here to create cool stuff, but you know, I don't really care about that. Is it about like, it, like, listen, dude, you just need to find a new job or are there ways like that people can help sort of educate or, or like, how, how does somebody handle this? It's a big and a loaded question. I think it all starts with honing your intuition to be right more often. So if you're going to bet on your creative guide and your intuition, and you're going to bet that like, look, everybody says, this is a perfect example. Everybody says that when you podcast, the best way to get out the door strong is to publish a ton of episodes in the first eight weeks. Why? 
because iTunes rewards people that get lots of downloads early, and so you want to front load all these episodes, but that breeds this problem of like, that means you have to do a lot of episodes, so you either have to start producing them like a year and a half before you want to go live, or you have to decrease the quality or all this stuff, on and on and on, and that's all the stuff because I've researched it. And then, you know, with Traction, I was like, I, I, I can't do that. I'm a one-man band at Nextview. What could I find white space on and just own and hope that it works? And I was like, well, the production value. Let's tell stories. Let's use music. Let's do narration. Um, and after 12 episodes instead of 100, we were getting ranked in all these places and people were telling stories about us, telling stories about these entrepreneurs. So, but that only came because like, I had done a side project years ago that nobody listened to that was like this local nonprofit wanted to do a podcast. And so I got to tinker on a podcast. And so I was like a little bit more effective when I did it for my day job. So that's my first point is like you, if you're going to bet on your creative intuition, you have to hone it constantly to be right more often. And you can do that very easily regardless of what your boss or your company says through side projects. And side projects are like your creative gym. We all get the value of working out physically, but you can also work out creatively because creating is a muscle. It has to be worked out and honed and, and continually strengthened and made more flexible. Um, so launch a bunch of side projects, tinker on nights and weekends. You know, if that's an important thing to you and you're so frustrated by a boss that shoots you down and wants more volume or, or crap or a business or an industry that doesn't let you do the creative work that you're trying to do, then it should be important enough to schedule time to tinker, to schedule time to improve and, and just build stuff on the side in the way that you would schedule a time to, you know, watch that next series or something on Netflix. Get rid of that. Start just tinkering for fun. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you got to prove it. Like you're not just going to walk into your boss and be like, I was doing all these side projects and I was like tinkering on wood carvings and writing a sports blog, even though we sell software for large businesses. Like, no, you, you got to prove it. You have to, you do have to bring some kind of evidence that what you're going to do works. And I'll give you an example of someone who's about, hopefully about to do just that. I gave a talk last week and um, this woman asked me about a video series that she was building. And she was like, I was so pumped that I had creative freedom to do it. And I was telling good stories and I think the video was great emotionally. But then my boss was like, where's our logo? Where's our product? Et cetera, et cetera. And she, so she slapped on a logo. She got the boss to back off product, but not the logo. And what I said to her was like, you should do both. You should have produced the one that had zero mention of your product and put that out the door on the sly. And then maybe under your personal account. And then put the other one out the door and promote it through all your channels, et cetera. And what you want to do is you want to show your boss, like, look at the comments that this really good one is getting. Because if you're betting on that intuition or betting on that better version, you're like confident, look, someone is going to like this more. Don't you want more of that, Mr. CMO? Like people are saying things with exclamation points, not just periods. The vanity metric was lower because we didn't promote it at all. But like, look at the reaction qualitatively and the feedback we we're getting over here why don't we try promoting it in our actual channels? So you got to bring proof, but you also have to start with that intuition and honing it over and over and over again. Great points. And and you, people should definitely check out the Unthinkable podcast uh, where Jay kind of gets into this stuff uh, much more in depth even than here. Um, and, uh, you know, you've also talked about this previously in this conversation, but also, uh, you know, heavily mentioned throughout the Unthinkable FM sort of positioning is sort of this shortcut culture, you know, and this is something that you often uh, hilariously tweet about at times or, or Facebook, <laughs> like how much does seeing a post about like five easy hacks to, uh, you know, get to number one on the iTunes podcast charts, how much does seeing content like that piss you off? You know, John, uh, I've been talking a lot to my therapist, uh, 
Dr. Richard Nygaard, for you <laughs> Parks and Recs fans. Um, and you know, he, he's telling me not to, to respond to questions like this and just think about my happy place. Um, <laughs> thinking about puppies and great, great New Haven pizza right now. That's where oh, I'm at. Oh God. No, but yeah. like, it, it, it's, it's disheartening. It's, I'm not frustrated or mad. It's more like I'm just dishearten, disheartened because it means someone is lying to you. If someone says, look, content marketing can be easy. Making other human beings emotionally respond to you or intellectually respond to you based on media that you're creating that's filtering through you as a person out into the world, hey, that, that can be easy. No, being a writer is like being clinically insane and delusional. Like you're expecting that something you're putting to paper, which are your thoughts, even if you're documenting it from some other source, coming through the, the experience you have of the world that makes up you and putting it out to the world. And you're like, yeah, other people are going to like this. That's diagnosable. That's nuts. And so to say, like, we can shortcut all that. Like, don't worry. Just follow this listicle. Or like, you know, here, read this headline, which is like, how I drove 16,751 leads with zero budget in five days. It's like, all that person is saying is like, look how clever and great I am. And by the way, I bet all those leads churned anyway. So <laughs> it, it frustrates me because it sets you down the wrong path. Whereas if you actually did what was hard and embraced that it would be hard and changed your mentality a little bit, you could actually maybe come out on top. Where instead of looking for a shortcut around what everyone else is doing, you're still doing the same thing, but you want a shortcut, maybe just run like a mile to the left and realize like no one's owning this and it needs to be owned right now and someone needs to talk about this because our audience cares about it and I'm the only game in town right now. So this is my white space and I'm going to own it. Like that's what creative people do. And so I get disheartened by it because I think we could all be so much better and get better results, but we're so content we're focused on like picking at scraps. So like the analogy I use is, remember those posters that a lot of us had as kids which showed like a slice of the ocean and there's like way too many animals in it from top to bottom just to like show kids, look at all the animals. Well, that's the creative web. Content marketers are bottom feeders with a crusty shell to protect us from what I call CM blowfish. And these crusty shells prevent us from looking up. So we're picking at scraps. We're like, how do we optimize this blog post to get a few more clicks on SEO? Or like, how do we growth hack our way and like find this channel and do this thing? And like, oh, I'm so scared no one's going to open my email. And But if we just looked up, we're, we're in the ocean. Like there's all dolphins and whales and sharks doing like crazy flips and shit. Like we could do that too. We could aspire to something greater. We, you know, don't set out to be the best lead gen team in the world. Set out to be the best publication for what you want to talk about. And if you just frame your reference there and that's your starting point, I think you by nature like start to elevate what you're doing. And there are already tons of people in this world, in this, in this uh, content marketing thing that, that want to do that. And they're just getting beaten down and beaten down and beaten down. And it's all thanks to that shortcut culture. That's got to stop now. That, that is why I'm building this thing unthinkable. Like that has to stop because we're hurting ourselves. We're hurting the individual careers, but we're also hurting our results as a business. And it's just ineffective. Like, you, you know, you could scroll through your Twitter feed right now and see 10 different posts, uh, either listicles or how-tos about how to easily do something. Like, if it was that easy, you know, like everyone would be, uh, you know, we wouldn't need the help. We wouldn't need to be going on Twitter. We wouldn't need to be reading articles. So it is it is disheartening. But um, like everything else, I think there's a, there's a bubble to be burst somewhere on that kind of content. And, um, you know, you're, you're probably seeing it now with, like, just having a blog maybe isn't enough. Like, you know, it has to be great. This isn't 2008 where you could just have a WordPress blog and be like, oh, well, if I just blog enough, um, I'll be found. Um, so 
So yeah, hopefully that that sort of writes itself. But yeah, um, people like you fighting the good fight, you know, putting out podcasts and, and content that sort of contrast that is is huge too. Um, so and by the way, you can be good. You can be good doing all the other stuff, doing the shortcut stuff, following the best practice on repeat without thinking, trying to do a blog post that's void of tone of voice and all this stuff. Like we've we are now we're still in the era we're exiting it, but we're still there where you can be a good marketer and get good results doing that kind of stuff. I'm speaking to the people that want to be great. Like if you actually want to have a great career that you love, that you wake up every day jazz to go, do extra work and all that, or you actually want to build a business that other people love or that gets great results, which I wager is like most people listening right now because you're listening to a business podcast, like this is the this is your time. It's like it's time for you to like break out your skills and bet on them because like it's happening now. It's already starting to happen where you can start to use that intuition, use that creativity to separate because everyone else is doing it the same damn way. So like, I, I think our time is now. John, you and me, we like to create stuff on the side. Like, I'm hoping that our time is now. So this is interesting too, what you just said. So is a good marketer and a good creator, those could be two different things, right? Like somebody that's really good, like you said, you can be good. You can be one of those people that puts out listicles and they just, you know, they, they know the right SEO levers to pull. They know, um, they either already, they might already even have a big platform or, or, you know, there's plenty of blogs out there that just sort of, you know, regurgitate the, the same type of crap over and over again, or, or just try to hit volume and hit numbers. And because they already have high domain authority and they have the, the equity built up with a, you know, a large audience, it just works, right? But a good creator is different, right? They and sometimes a good creator might not know how to get their work in front of a lot of people. But um, do you think that there's something to be said there about companies hiring people that are just great creators, great writers, great you know? Which is why you probably see a lot of people from the journalism field, um, you and I, two of them, right? Transplants that you know kind of maybe saw the writing on the wall and, and found our way into marketing, but in other areas too, photographers and, and designers and people that might not know how to get their stuff out in front of a, uh, a lot of people. But you know, there's there's good marketers to do that. Is being a good creator different? So. Uh, by the way, thank you for letting me rant this far. I feel like it's all been an emotional answer. Let me. I want to give you like a <laughs> That's the like a pra- practical answer. Let me let me do that. I'm like I'm like sweating over here. I took off my hoodie. It's like I'm getting into it. Let me give you the the kind of uh, factual answer on this one. So, uh, next view invests in early stage startups, some of which are now later stage. We have about uh, we have over 50 investments, over 50 companies that we try to help, and a lot of them will email me and ask for marketing talent uh, or how to hire them. When I started here two years ago, it was all around content marketers. That was the phrase they used. Now I'm hearing content producer, I'm hearing writer, I'm hearing podcaster. They kind of like, I can almost sense the CEOs like throwing up their arms and be like, we just, we just need someone to produce. Like we need someone to be on the front lines, creating this stuff, getting it out the door, being the creative athlete, moving with the channels and the times because we need attention as a startup because it's such a precious commodity again. And, and in that evolution, I think, is hinting at this fact that, like, there, there is a difference in skills. Like, we talk a lot of, in content marketing about, like, the whole content marketing industry talks about the marketing of content. Very rarely do we talk about the creation of content. And I think we should be talking about both. This isn't, this isn't an either-or thing. I'm not here saying, like, it's all about just creating great content. Like, no. If you build it, they will come. Great movie quote. Horrible marketing strategy. <laughs> so, like, you do need both. And I think there's you can go deep into both skills and become like two separate types of marketers, ty- types of roles. I've learned the marketing stuff on the job, and I would wager most people do. And so if I'm hiring, 
I'm focused on like, get me a, an intrinsically motivated creator because I can't teach that. I can't necessarily instill that all the way. I certainly can't teach them to write because that takes years of your life and a certain disposition. But I can certainly teach them to be a good marketer because guess what? We measure it. We document it. We put it in a listicle. Hey, follow the listicle. Go subscribe to Growth Hackers. Go subscribe to inbound.org. Listen to John's podcast. So I can create a good marketer. I cannot create and I can barely find the good creator that wants to work in marketing. Like that is the superstar. Is it? Is it from a content standpoint? Um, or uh, is it? Is it difficult for brands to find that? Uh, I like that word you use, creative athlete. Is it? Is it that hard to find um, sort of creators, writers, uh, people that want to sort of transplant from their career and move to market? Is, is, is that a difficult sort of uh, ask for, for many companies? It, yes and no. I think yes, because brands lack the historical credibility and care for editorial craft or creative craft that, uh, that creates prestige that a lot of top tier writers, designers, podcasters, whomever want to go work for. So that, you know, the Grantland example, if Grantland actually got acquired with their staffers uh, into whatever, Nike, although maybe they're an exception, but some brand, the, the staff would quit because now they're all working either for Bill Simmons, the editor-in-chief that they had originally, or they're going to go write for Esquire, the New Yorker, like New York Times Magazine, New York Times, et cetera. So I think there's a, there's a little bit of a problem in like the starting point. You know, like Pixar doesn't start out and say, we have all this amazing creative talent with capital T's. How do we make a movie about a fish that sells tons of merchandise? Like, no, they, they're like, we have this amazing creative talent. We want to attract more. How do we make the best damn movie about a fish possible? By the way, that's going to sell a ton of merchandise, right? And I, I think that that reality, that mentality has to flip to be really, really good in the brand world at attracting this type of talent. However, there's a lot of people that want to create stuff on the web for a living. And it's like ships passing in the night. You know, a good example is undergrads that are in liberal arts degrees, um, I was one of those people at one point, and I was—I wish somebody had come to my college and said, "Look, you don't want to be a traditional journalist. You don't want to be a teacher. You hate finance and all the other traditional career paths that are in a nice, neat box for you in career services." Here's this great big world where, like, you can have some creative freedom. You, your your creativity does matter. There is this like great need that we have to hire you, like the individual with no experience, and then there's like people in the professional world too. So it's like we're talking two different languages. If you're like thinking about a writer as an example, that writer wants to get paid and go work, but the brand is like trying to hire them like a traditional marketer. So, you know, the best writer I ever hired, for example, had just the GED and 10 years of bartending experience. That was it. And my boss was smart. He's like, Jay just came from Google. He's got a process he's going to put on this candidate. I know this person. I know he can write and be an asset to our content team. And my boss sent me his portfolio. I never saw anything else. And I was like, this guy's amazing. He can write like crazy. We got to hire him. But if I saw everything else, I tried to put my like traditional hiring lens over him. I would have weeded him out right away. Right. And so like, don't tell me on a resume or in a newsletter or sorry, in a cover letter that you can write, show me if you're a candidate, get to the actual samples. Same for the other side of the table. Same for the employer get to the samples, assign them a project. We have to start kind of like revamping our way of finding each other if we want more creative talent in this field. 
Those are great points. Those are great points. I I, I kind of want to um, shift gears a little bit and talk about something that uh, you know you had mentioned in a, in an email to me, which is you know this pizza. This, <laughs> oh, pizza. oh, sorry. We no. we can go there. We can go New Haven pizza. <laughs> um, but uh, this people over publishers movement and the work you're doing with with Andrew Davis and you know the the whole goal you know being stepping outside the whole page view banner ad game, um, you know. Can you, can you, I mean, that's, that's loaded, right? I mean, there's a lot that you could talk about there, but, um, yeah, can, can you sort of, uh, can you f- talk on that for a bit? Yeah, sure. So the movement that you're hinting at is, uh, people over publishers. So this idea that, and we've known this for a while, an individual can build their own audience and either build a larger company around that, launching products, whether content based or otherwise, um, start speaking or getting sponsors or, you know, basically the individual with the audience and the street cred and the kind of halo of talent uh, and awareness, they can kind of be standalone media companies. And I mentioned Bill Simmons very briefly. He was a writer forever at ESPN, their most read ever. He leaves and now he's basically building his own little mini empire and HBO scoops him up. And he's kind of like working for HBO, but like also not really. Like he's doing his own things as well. So that's like a macro level example. But you're seeing more people in the entrepreneurial space um, pursue this trend. And so I'll give you two examples. Uh, the first is Medium. So Medium had this publication called Matter. And Matter recently announced that they're spinning out Matter Studios, which is basically the goal is, again, to step outside that page view and banner ad game and build new business models and new publisher types or new media companies, I should say, because they're not hell-bent on publisher as destination, but new media business models from the ground up. And they're going to focus on quality above all is what they're saying. Now, hopefully that comes to fruition. But their idea is like, can you take someone who's completely disillusioned working at suchandsuch.com and it's all about impressions and page views or sponsored content, take that person out and then around them build something new. And maybe it's based on going out to all the distribution channels and not actually having a destination site at all, which is something that Medium founder Ev Williams has talked publicly about. Or maybe it's something that you know we don't quite understand yet. So that's like one big example of this people over publishers movement. The other you mentioned, which a lot of people listening might recognize the name, but uh, Andrew Davis. So you know, marketing author, speaker, kind of thought leader. Um, he and I have been working together on Unthinkable. So he's my executive producer, and more so, he's running uh, a startup essentially called Monumental Shift, which is a talent agency for like potential authors, business thinkers, speakers, etc. And we're tinkering together on like, what does a model look like where you can kind of build this mini media empire around an individual or two or three people or whatever. So again, to cite a macro example, you have Gary Vaynerchuk and he's got like the Gary team that does video and text and all these other things and they support him with speaking, engagement, and logistics and all of that. Um, so those are two examples. They're very different. They're focused on very different kind of overlapping worlds, but still starting from different perspectives. One's in the publishing world traditionally, one's in marketing. But uh, I just, I love this idea of like, we can beat back the page view obsession, not necessarily by creating the next Vox.com, but by rethinking the playbook entirely from the ground up around people that really want to do that. And kind of to dovetail off of that, and you mentioned Bill Simmons, how, you know, the ringer, which is, uh, you know, one of his new ventures um, on Medium, a lot of uh, publications that have moved to Medium. Um, early on, too, which was interesting, like a year or two ago, there was a lot of talk about like Medium, right? And how, like, why would you ever want to build a house, uh, you know, uh, not in your own backyard? You're giving up the SEO. You're give- And now there's, this, like you were saying, there's this movement about like that the publication isn't so much the destination. Uh, what, what is... 
what is your feeling on medium? Because you've been active there. Um, I don't know. I, I can't remember if it's been recent or not, but I know that in the past you've been active there. Um, what, what, Medium has definitely changed radically in the past, like six to twelve months, as well. To a lot of the, you know, with with the with the mobile app and the updates to that, and just like, you know, uh, you know, being able to buy your own domain and all these things. Like, what is what is like? I guess similar to what I asked you before about Snapchat. Um, what's the value that Medium offers for for brands, and and how is that so radically different than what we're used to? So I think the value is it's to me it's another so it's a better solution than LinkedIn blogging, but it should be treated the same way. You know, if you have something on your own site, excuse me, if you have something on your own site, put it there, link back, you know, change it up a little bit to be native to that platform because they like the the big think navel gazing type op eds. But the idea that a company and we're we're seeing this in the startup world and it's really troubling to me, but the companies that we're seeing build on Medium are losing control over their own content and results of those of those pieces because they can't add technologies to you know optimize the content personalize the content overlays pop-ups call to action boxes the design the branding like they just lose out on all of that and then obviously there's the you know seo crack that everybody is obsessed with too in marketing and like there's all these red flags that are kind of like going off in my head when i hear about a startup launching their blog exclusively on medium if you're bill simmons and the ringer you're going to get custom everything. You're going to get early access to everything. And your model might actually help you use Medium in a better way because maybe they're not selling products and services. So you can't necessarily look at the ringer and say, okay, I'm also a brand, I'll do that. For me, I think, unfortunately, Medium is falling victim to what a lot of like social graph-based consumption platforms become, which is like you get trapped in this ever-decreasing in, ever in size like echo chamber or bubble. For me, because of my Twitter following and because of people who I follow on Twitter, Medium scoops up that information and they just spit back all the same stuff. It's just like a bunch of people, you know, me opening Medium is like asking for 12 people to just scream at me like, this is the one way to do this startup thing, period. Or like, this is why marketing is broken. Like, <laughs> and it, I'm just, it's like, oh my God, I wish they had a box at the top that was like outside your echo chamber. Try reading this. Because it's just so inundating over and over again in the way that LinkedIn started really great, just like Medium with the influencers and all that. And then it devolved into a bunch of people I don't actually know writing about career advice for the birds. And it's like, oh my gosh, can we just backtrack a little bit? Like, doesn't have to be about, you know, please, please, please hit that heart at the bottom, please. Like, please just hit that heart. And like, I want to go viral on Medium. It's like, just... We, we're doing it again, guys. We're doing it again. We have to stop. So, so my plea to Medium, if anybody there is listening, is like, is is just look at LinkedIn and what happened to the noise there and the blogging program there, and like learn from that. And then my plea to brands is like, use Medium for all it's worth, but realize that Medium is out to help Medium, not to help you. And don't kind of build everything you have on their platform. Yeah, it's a good supplemental blog strategy, but not yeah, not the building your blog there exclusively. Um, so yeah, I want to uh, I want to wrap up by asking you about like what's what's coming with Unthinkable. Like what is uh, what do you have planned? I know you you referenced earlier like sort of you know um, you know getting getting started uh, with concepts for for the upcoming shows and things like that. But uh, yeah, what, what's what's coming down the pipe for for Unthinkable FM? Yeah, so I mean we're all about re-inspiring people every Monday morning. And so to do that, we're doing a couple of things. Number one is every other week, so it's a weekly show, but every other week we're doing something called slingshots where these are shorter 
episodes about people's creative side projects that land in some place surprising because so often a lot of this work, a lot of this career is about tinkering on the side. And so we want to profile a lot of those people. So they'll be like quick hitting, kind of a different format than you're used to from most shows uh, type episode. The core episodes every other week we're also trying to engineer. So doing things like a segment called Outside the Echo Chamber where, you know, for example, we'll I went, on, I went to Harvard's campus with a microphone and basically asked people about a marketing question just to like get outside our bubble and hear what the real world thinks about something. So trying to do more moments like that where it doesn't, you forget you're listening to a marketing podcast and you're like, wait a second, this is just interesting storytelling or I'm seeing this concept but from a completely different angle and hopefully that informs you to go back to your job and be a more inspired creative. So I'm right now really focused on that, like the meat. It's sort of like first things first, Second thing's never. So the first thing's first for me is I got to get the show right. I got to make it the best possible show I've ever created. Um, and after that, we're going to start talking about like products that we can launch and community that we can build. And, you know, I want to do a lot more behind the scenes stuff and just kind of give away my process and just kind of, again, peel back the curtain and say, this is exactly what's going on because it's this meta thing. I'm like creating content for content creators. So I'm incredibly excited, but I think, you know, I'm not even in the first inning of this. I'm like in the on-deck circle, still taking my practice swings. And where can people go? Where do you want to send people from here, basically? Where can they go learn more about you, Unthinkable FM? Yeah, unthinkable.fm is the website. It's got all the episodes and some blogging in between. Um, Twitter is where I'm most active, at Jay Akunzo. Same deal, <laughs> excuse me, same deal for Snapchat. Um, I'm so excited about Snapchat that I just got choked up. But <laughs> anywhere you can find me, it's just Jay Akunzo. Uh, that was, that was a dad joke right there. I'm supposed to be, I'm trying to get better with those myself. So that was, uh, that was well done. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Jay, it was awesome, man. Finally being able to get you on this podcast. Uh, thanks so much for sharing, you know, uh, your creative process, but, but, uh, yeah, peeling back the curtain, as you said, uh, for everything going on with unthinkable and, and, and that was, was really fascinating stuff. So I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been all this time. Yeah, thank you so much, brother. And my my greatest achievement on this show, as I said, peeling back the curtain, not opening the kimono, because gross. Oh, or, or Pandora's box either, because that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's overused too. All right, uh, my thanks to Jay for coming on and, and sharing all this information with us. Be sure to check out unthinkable.fm. Follow Jay basically everywhere, because he's active pretty much everywhere. Um, and thank you, everyone, for, for coming by to listen once again. And be sure to tune in very, very soon. So long, everyone.